0: I am so excited about our next guest. I got to sit down and chat with the wonderful and always charming Denise Davis. I could sit and talk to her for days. She's just one of the smartest people I know. She has the gift of hearing a question, thinking about it for a split second, and delivering a brilliant answer that is crafted to perfection. She's also a strategic person who played competitive sports growing up. She loves the film Chicago as much as I do and enjoys the occasional Take Five, only one of the greatest candy bars of all time. We're like twins. The three time Emmy nominee Davis began her career on the basketball courts in Vegas, crossing up her competition and bringing home championships. I do think that's where this all began, but in the traditional sense, sure. uh, She began her career producing short films, music videos, and digital content, which included Issa Rae's acclaimed web series, The Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl. Davis went on to serve as co executive producer of the HBO comedy series Insecure. Davis also served as producer on A Black Lady Sketch Show and executive producer for Rap Shit. Davis is also the co-founder of Color Creative, a management company dedicated to supporting diverse creators. And she launched Reform Media Group in 2020 as a means to produce socially and culturally relevant television and film content. The company focuses on amplifying marginalized voices across the entertainment industry. Just recently, Denise Davis and her Reform Media Group banner entered into a development deal with Tyler Perry Studios. This includes TV unscripted first look feature film projects with the goal of bringing more diverse storytelling across both television and film. And here's a fun little side note. It is super rare for Tyler Perry Studios to enter into deals with other creators, writers, producers. I believe Perry only has one other deal like it. So bravo to both parties. He clearly has great instincts because I would bet on Davis too. You're a very smart person like what I what I can watch your I can watch your interviews all day long because uh, it's truly like a master class in storytelling, like just from like word of mouth. Like you, ha- you have such a great you do such a great job of connecting dots and having complete thoughts and communicating them very well. Have you always kind of been a storyteller?
1: You know, I I guess in some way it's it's funny, my life was one of those things where once I got started on this journey and you look back at your childhood, you go, oh, yeah, oh, oh, that makes sense, right? Like you just forget about these hobbies and interests and things you do as a kid that that didn't, I think at the time, translate or or connect to any type of career. Right. Um, I always joke that recently, maybe a year or so, I went back home to Vegas to my mom's house and I was in the garage and I was cycling through like I don't know, some old like storage unit thing that I kept. And in there I found like an elementary school journal might've been from like fifth or sixth grade. And, you know, they'd give you like a question of the day you'd have to write about. And one of them was like, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I was astounded because apparently I wrote that I wanted to be a writer (laughs) and I laughed, but I laughed because I was like, no, I don't. But it was also (laughs) like, oh, actually, but at that time it makes sense. I used to want to write my own um, or I, at least I did actually write my own short stories and come up with characters. And I would like, you know, I love to have this creative imagination. Um, and, you know, just it's just so funny how life works, right? When you don't even realize that you were just a kid having fun.
0: Yeah, Well that's crazy. And it makes sense because uh, you're, you're you as a producer are extraordinary. And I find that producers who are creators who understand narrative in themselves versus just understanding like bottom line and uh, the business of it all uh, are truly like a, a force multiplier on set. Like you are, you do more than your ex, like then what your role on the line, the call sheet is. You grew up in Las Vegas. Did you like, you know, you wanted to be a writer in like in this journal, but did you have, there was entertainment on your radar at all in any capacity in Vegas while you're growing up?
2: I mean, only by way of the normal stuff. You know, I watched a lot of movies with my family growing up. Um, a lot of just content. I was, you know, I always like to say I'm part of the the digital age, right? Of of knowing what life was like before and after computers and and um, and just that world. So, um, not in particular. I, what's really ironic, though, is I do have. Uh, videos there where I used to take my mom's like VHS camera sort of these big dv tapes um not even mini dv tapes um eight millimeter tapes I think and I used to do these short films or music videos with my friends and my cousins like over the course of a few years and just and I would edit in camera like literally if you're mm-hmm. watching back you see like four jump cuts because it's like I kept rewinding the tape to try to like get to the next scene so Again, all in retrospect, not in the context of like, oh, this is what I want to do, but I was around it. I think I was around um, being supported creatively that I think uh, led to so so many other things. And um, I, I think if you knew part of my story, you know, it's it's ironic that at sixteen I was introduced to the craft in a more formal way, and it I fell in love with it. Right, it clicked, and obviously it should have because you know prior to that I had all these and dabbled in all these things, but no one had actually ever sat down and said, oh, you can do this with this, with, with this craft, with this tool.
0: Yeah, well that's, uh, what was this? do you remember tonally, like this, the things that you're interested in making when you're making those videos, like what the tone of them were, the theme?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, They were comedic, honestly. Um, I had two younger cousins who were like, I don't know, seven and five at the time, six and four. And I used to pick them up after elementary school and walk them back to our house and watch them until their mom came off, uh, get off work. And so if you watch these videos with them, I'd make them play brothers in the short, but it was almost like they weren't getting along. They actually played (laughs) very mature adult, Brothers, because I gave them—I gave them like grown men like problems. Um, so, but it was comedic. Like if you watch it, it's you know it's very much me trying to like tell them what to say or tell them what to do, and 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 shooting them around the apartment. But uh, it's it's funny because it it did lean to a comedic side, as did some of the skits and stuff with my friends, because um, we just were silly, right? You're young and you're just having fun with it. Um, never any of the content was anything dramatic which is which is very strange
0: did you, uh, what were you watching at this period of time? Like what was like, What when you look back at your childhood or early, like even high school, what sort of media were, was most influential to you?
1: Beyond a doubt, movies. Um, I, I grew up loving movies. You know, my household, there's uh, my family, at least there's classics that we could still put on to this day that I don't get tired of. Um, and, you know, it's very eclectic. Like people always love to be like, what's your favorite movie? I'm like, I can't even choose. And then I start being like, well, you know, there's Chicago, but then there's, uh, <laughs> there's The quick and the dead and they're just like who are you um but it's just you know i I grew up having a fondness for all types of different stories that you know just kind of swept me off my feet and and um and yeah it's just uh again with the what the translation into the digital age of things um it's so funny because I, I distinctly remember when video was becoming uh, a play online and not even in your phones because we weren't really able to do that yet. Um, but it's, I don't know if you remember this, but before like even Chris Crocker videos, right? Because that really kicked off the YouTube age. There were these like random videos that people would send to you via email and it was like this scary woman. And it's like, you'd be watching a video of a room and then all of a sudden like the sound effect of a screen would come on and someone would appear. And it would, like, freak you out. And it's almost like the effect of the early movie days when people would go in the theaters and watch a train come at them, right? Like, you were just like, mm-hmm. what is this? That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was via email. But it's just like those, those I think, the nuances and video and the things that I remember are just being drawn towards. And then also being like, how do they make
2: that? <laughs>
0: That makes sense. I mean, I can see how you have this uh, wide range in taste. Uh, Chicago, by the way, what an amazing film.
2: Uh, Uh, It's a a classic. Richard Gere.
1: True story. I went and someone um, knew I loved the movie. And so for my birthday, they took me to see the play when I lived in New York. And I I was so bored. I remember being like, this is nothing like the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Because the movie just made it so much more like bombastic, right? Like it's just it's incredible what they did with that.
0: All right. So we can't go much further without having to talk a little bit about basketball. I know that's a through Uh, line in a lot of conversations, so we're not going to hang on to it too long. But I am really curious, like, you know, I've heard a lot of conversation about it. How would you describe the way you played basketball? Like
1: how how, what was your (laughs) style like? So funny. I played basketball like the way I produce. Um, I was very strategic um, because, you know, it's, it's so funny, I, I was a point guard, I was always like captain of the middle school or the high school teams, and but uh, but I knew I wasn't the best player on the team, and I, and I instinctively knew that, and I think it speaks a lot about filmmaking, right? Like as a producer, I'm not the director, like I'm not going to ever speak as if I know better than anyone here, um, and for that, basketball was so collaborative, and so, uh, you know, I, I, I think I approached it, A, I loved the game, it just genuinely was was the, uh, the most fun sport I'd ever played played. But I think, you know, when I think about how long I played for and why a lot of it came from the team experience. I loved being a part of a team. I loved doing things together and being able to, you know, then have to honestly never even asked to lead these teams, but for that to be thrust upon me and to, for people to see something in me that I didn't see in myself at the time um, because I was like the pipsqueak. I was tiny, short, really decent, right? Decent enough to be on the team, but I I wasn't a superstar. I didn't score 20 baskets every game. I maybe get Six, but um, I think I saw the floor and the team and the game strategically every time, um, and, and that went a long way. Plus, leadership skills, I think the coaches really enjoyed that. You know, I, I was really good at um rallying the team and, and having that camaraderie. So, it's it's so funny, that's how I see myself as a, as a ball player. Um, and I truly haven't played in so long, but again, you get more into your life and you're like, oh, that's so interesting, there's no world in which that time in my life those skills that i was learning in that sport didn't translate or, or move over and, and help me um into what i do now you know um and it's just because of that the type of player i was
0: you know, I can see that. Like, I mean, just hearing the conversations, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, And every time I heard someone bring it up, I'm like, "But what kind of player were you? <laughs> and it makes sense like that. It connects the dots to everything else, because everything I've read from a producing, like you're extremely collaborative. You have you create, you know, I'm, a, I'm fascinated with sports psychology, specifically around player coaches and mm. the modern era of coaches who really Play around the personnel and like get to know them, and it's a very uh, of like three hundred and sixty philosophical kind of uh, approach to coaching versus like the old coaching of the day where you would say this is my style, my system, get into it. If you don't like it, leave. Mm-hmm. Versus versus really getting to know your players and like on an emotional level and find the best like chemistry, and that's the team you go with who has the best chemistry with, with later mm-hmm. on the floors. So no, sense.
1: completely. I mean, and, and I was lucky enough to be on teams where we didn't have like a Kobe, right? Like it was genuinely a team that was really great and, and would won a uh, championship and stuff, but we dominated because we played as a team. Everyone was good. And so I think it's that effect of like, everyone here is pointing their weight, right? We knew what each of our strengths were and it wasn't just like one star that we're all trying to like support and cater to. And so even that environment, uh, you know, was was really, uh, was really telling.
0: That's cool. Did you have good handles, I can imagine?
1: I did. I did. I, I definitely, um, I mean, as a point guard, you know, you'd have to bring the ball up the court, call the plays. Um, so, yeah, I, I distinctly had good handles, had a decent shot. And again, I'm always just like, I was an average-ish player. Like, I was good, but I wasn't great, you know. And I have a fiancé who, uh, she also grew up playing basketball. And so, every once in a while, we'll play a one-on-one. And honestly, she beats me every time. <laughs> and I'm always like, wow, you're really good. I don't sure. <laughs> Ah, makes me feel like dead. was I good ever? Like was I just like the the mascot? Start questioning everything. Yeah, you know, you're just like, why did they let me on the team? What I must have been good <laughs> at one point. Who knows?
0: I well, I think it's that this that vision. I you know, as older I get, and I love sports. I really see the value of players that have vision on the court who actually can see the plays unfolding. And to your point, being strategic and growing up a strategic person producing playing ball you're seeing problems come in advance and you're getting ahead of them and you're and then you're seeing opportunities to actually amplify the game or the the project um what's a better film love and basketball above the rim or white men can't jump
1: oh love and basketball are you kidding me what kind of what kind of question is that kind of comparisons um love and basketball and i'll tell you why it's uh, the very as many great things as that film is about and and the acting and everything um what's important to me out of all of those films and any others if you look at the the i guess the history of films about basketball right it is the first film and one of the few films with a black woman um in the center of it where she's also the player right and it's always male dominated in every like story and so it was i mean for as a young girl playing ball like that's what you saw yourself in that, you know what I mean, and and we haven't really seen that since in a fictional way. So it's always, you know, it feels like it's it's always shown in the male case. But to me, it's also why that film. I'm like, are you getting me? Like it's a, it's a classic. It's a love story. It makes you cry. It makes you laugh. It's all these things. But representation wise, like man, we we never had that at, until that point. We still haven't had it since.
0: Yeah. No, you nailed it. Yeah. Is that some? Are you? that theme and that kind of subject matter are you active have you thought about trying to find the next
1: yeah. love in basketball you know i've actually toyed around with it I've, I've been really interested in the doc space um particularly around the the idea of women's basketball and and women of color um because i think there's a lot of great stories about to come out and you hear about all these projects and and they're incredible ball players but none of them are actually black women and i think you know um when you look at the WNBA and, and beyond and in this in the history of college sports with basketball um, there's just not a lot of stories that have been shined a light on. So <clears throat> as much as I am interested in, in a fictional approach, I've been more looking at, like, how do I help tell some of these stories that have just been overlooked and that, you know, the community, at least at, by and large, know about them, but it doesn't feel like it's uh, the, the greater public is even keenly aware that they existed.
0: Right. And it's such a great format to tell that story in a very authentic way, right? I mean, Completely. And then you can find source material in, in, that, in those productions. You started in a on it a little bit earlier about how you kind of made your transition in high school into audio, video, visual, AV club, if you will, in <laughs> high school. Uh, how did you get into that? How did like and what what happened, like what exactly happened to get you into that class?
1: OK, so it's it's twofold, right? My sophomore year. I'm in a class. This is. It wasn't even AV club. I'll tell you the name of it because it cracks okay. me up. Um, the, the name of the elective class was sports and entertainment marketing. <laughs> what? <laughs> I know, right? I, sh- I should ask Coach Collins, who taught the class, like, where did this name come from? Because that's not at all what we did. We had textbooks. But – um, my sophomore year, it's the first time this class has ever been held. It's an elective, right? So it's like the class that I took to be like, well, "What's that about?" And what it quickly became was it's the class where like all the cool kids or like the whatever the kids who were just like whatever I need to take an elective. We just hung out. Like they would do some school work, but the the, uh, the the man who ran the class, who was also the head of student council, um, was just like the coolest teacher ever, right? Everyone like like loved him, and we'd go to McDonald's and be like, "Bring me back some fries." <laughs> like totally that kind of class. Um, but long story short, we're in there, and there was some work every once in a while. I would catch up on homework or sleep, and um, there was a small group of students in that class that were from student council, and they would go next door where, when you peeked into it, he had a green screen and some cameras and some computers, and you know, basically was like, we're gonna use this class to start doing these um, broadcast announcements. And so it's like the morning announcements that every school would have. Well, somehow they were able to convince the principal in the school to like, Try to roll out this visual announcements every day, and could we get every classroom, every teacher, to turn this on in like fourth period, um, and and broadcast it to the kids? Like this would be a greater way to you know to to get messages out there. So they started doing that in this class that I took as an elective. So I was watching what they were doing and was just like, well, this is so interesting. Like what what is this? Right. I struck up a friendship with one of the women who was like the co-host, and she um, through her our friendship, she ended up kind of establishing me more with the teacher. Um, And one of our class projects in that class, the only thing for assignment was like, we have to do a photo montage. And so I remember taking these photos and like being on the computer and and showing the, the editing of it. And through the, she was a senior, she was graduating and she was like, hey, I told coach Collins that you should be a part of student council. Like you should, like you clearly have an interest in this. And again, people seeing things in me that I was like, huh, me? Oh, I mean, I guess I am creative. And um, and because of a recommendation, he came to me and was like, hey, and I think um, I, I tried to run for the council, I didn't get in, but he was like, I'm gonna bring you in as his representative, but um, I'm gonna be able to do this class again. And it's gonna be called sports and entertainment marketing too. So people can retake the <laughs> class and you should come back and, um, and you know, you should be a part of this. And so I did, and throughout my junior year, strangely, or I guess not so strangely, through that class and being able to be a little bit more closer to what they were doing he was like okay here's how we edit which is adobe premiere pro and we were doing green screens and you know and and somehow by my senior year i'm i'm directing and producing and editing uh, our daily video announcements and and became known as like the video girl by the time I'm a senior where like, I mean, you had the dance team who was like, hey, we are going to do a dance recital. We want to do, can you do a commercial that can air during the announcements? And I'm a part of student council. So we would always talk in the student council meetings of like, Denise, Denise can do, Denise, let's do a video about the blood drive that's coming up. Can we do a, a commercial for Sadie Hawkins dance? And like, all these random creative things and literally it would be like we like not a, like here's the the concept it was like go do a video and then i would have to sit down and be like okay well it'd be fun if we did this this and this um i mean it, and i did the school registration videos that would go play that the counselors would go take to the eighth grade classes in the middle schools and get them excited about coming to school like wild pet projects <laughs> and Creative freedom. Um, even a couple music videos. Uh, I did a. <laughs> I took one of the girls into student council, and around campus, we shot a music video for um, Ashley Simpson, an Ashley Simpson song at the time. And I got to air oh it. My God, I, love I got it. to air it during the announcements. I had my own platform. Uh, so, anyways, that's that's truly how I got into it. It was it was through school. It's it's i big a big advocate of education and exposure. Even before college, it's just you know it changed my life. And honestly, it wasn't until it was time to college that I didn't even, again, I connected the dots and said, oh, wait, I can go to school for this. Like, I'm just having fun and I never thought about where this could take me and the more I, I saw um, that there was this industry for entertainment and, and people doing these types of things, the more I was Um, I I wanted to know about it. And so I saw college because I always wanted to go to school um, as a way to like take it more seriously. Um, And not that I wasn't, but it was just like, I'm just doing this because, but no one's actually telling me anything about what I'm doing. Right. Um, So yeah, so that's, that's essentially how it happened. And and I'm, I'm always grateful because I'm like, just like you never, high school is a weird place, man. It just, you just, (laughs) it's, it's so bizarre. It's so bizarre.
0: Well, that's incredible. I mean, you put in so many hours before you even graduated high school in this career. I mean, honestly, if you took the hours of like, Business relationships, one-on-one talent relationships, pitching ideas, pitching people on, and getting them buy into an idea. Like you're running a network essentially. You're writing, directing, producing. Like you got. I mean, every one of those categories, you had hundreds of hours. But by the time you went to college, and that's incredible.
1: It's so funny. Um, I was going to film school. Um, our artist decided to go to film school. So I'm going to college now, and I'm going to major in film. And honestly, I felt like an imposter. I felt like, I remember feeling very insecure about what I was coming into because in my mind, you know, and when you study the grades, I was like, God, they just were making films all their life. Like, I'm just like doing these things for school, right? And and I don't know about, the greatest American movies and cinema. And I don't know truly what some of these roles are called. And so I went into it assuming that everyone else would know because it just was, it felt so new to me, even though I'd been doing it for a couple of years um, in terms of deciding that this is what I wanted to spend my, my time learning about that I, I felt late, you know? And weirdly, right? Cause you think back and you're like, well, why would you do that? Cause some people just decided they were gonna major in it and never even looked into it, right? right. Um, but for me, I just felt like because of, being in Vegas, I'm not from LA, right? So I didn't know anyone and I truly hadn't looked at the craft of it and I was going to school to learn it. So um, I kind of went in insecure and and feeling like an imposter. And I think what helped um, ground that was I love to learn. I love the classes I was taking and learning about uh, or putting all of this in a context finally. And, you know, I got a book um, called So You Want to Be a Producer, because as I was getting ready to go to New York and go to school, I remember feeling like I had to go into the classroom or go into this program, at least identifying what 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 path i wanted to be interested in because i just was like at least that'll give me something to to go off of and so you know through the research of like well, what are the people on set and, and looking at what everyone did through the process of elimination i was like oh editing yeah, i have done that but wait people edit that's all they do i can't do that um writing i don't have the Patience and like, ah, oh, this is like, that's probably not my thing. Directing, don't want all that responsibility. Um, you know, I enjoyed it, but it, it, it I was a passion about like that being my craft. And then the role of a producer, which to be honest, I say I was writing, producing and editing, but I wouldn't even say, I, I, I think at the time I was calling myself producing those announcements. I didn't know that that's what that was. Mm-hmm. But um, But coming across that definition, um, it, it, sparked something because I saw it as half creative. I saw it as half business and all these other things, and then going and researching this book, um, and, and wanting to learn more about it. Um, that, that really is what, what changed it for me. It was called, so you want to be a producer by Lawrence Turman and reading that book made me go, yeah, I could do this. This feels very much aligned with who I am, but also I always joke, but, uh, it's, um, doesn't sound that hard. <laughs> like like it wasn't like, ah, oh, I gotta be the best director, I gotta be a some you know, like I gotta know science and lighting for certain it was just like, oh, I just need to know how this works and I need to be able to be in the mix and be able to help champion and, and I don't know, put put all the um put all the string tie all the strings together, right? Yeah. I could I do that, you know, like it was just like, and why why couldn't anyone do that? So um, anyways, it's it's what I decided on. And, and I went into my freshman year just, and, and being able to tell people that when they're like, well, what do you do? And I was like, well, I want to be a producer. And people would be like, no one wants to come to college to be a producer. Like, <laughs> e- you know, you know, how it is. I don't know if, you have, if you've been in a film school environment, but it feels like everyone wants to be a writer director. And then and then you find the little DPs. But then outside of that, it, it felt like I couldn't. Yeah, it was like an anomaly in this class.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it, now it and then it goes back to you playing basketball and being a point guard. Like seeing all of it all makes sense. It all connects. And like I see the connective tissue of you like seeing the floor of the vision and seeing that with creative projects that it's, you know, of all the the jobs, I do think it's one of the most difficult ones. And even though you're like, oh, it's the easiest. It's like it, it's it's tough because <laughs> not, you're really. It's you hard. Know. It's hard. Don't get me wrong. I it's said hard. It, yeah. Now I'm like, no, no, I admit it's hard. At the time,
1: I was like, I didn't know anything.
0: <laughs> yeah. But, and, but like it's true. I could see how you as being a point guard and seeing the strength into your point earlier about being strategic, seeing the strengths in everybody else and like, oh, you in this role, talking them into that role, like kind of getting everyone aligned to get the best out of what you're all are working on. I can see how coming from a leadership point of view from sports and uh, can set you up for that. And it all makes all, sense. It all makes sense, so all, do all you makes remember- sense
1: somehow, yeah. <laughs>
0: Do you remember how so you want to be a producer came across your your path?
1: Um I'm going to be honest, it it truly I think was a Google search of like what are the books about producing and um and I I think I probably bought that book more than any other or I think I bought a few books at the time, but that book in particular because when reading who the, the guy who wrote it, I mean, he had produced all these classic movies. And it was just like, this guy sounds like he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. Um. And and it's weird because the title itself. So you want to be a producer? It felt like, oh, he's talking to me <laughs> like, yeah. OK, this is what you want to do. Like, eh, this this might be the thing you need to read first. So um, that's that's truly what it was. And um. I don't never forget cracking it open. Like i started reading it on the plane while I was flying from Vegas to New York to move there for college. Like I started it then and was like, oh yeah, no, this makes sense.
0: So let's connect the dots a little bit with like how you, you went to AFI, correct?
1: I did, yes, I went to grad school there.
0: <laughs> and how did you connect the dots to your next thing? What came after college? What was your first thing following graduating?
1: Uh, undergrad or AFI? AFI. AFI. Um, so the first thing after AFI, there were two things I did that summer, really three, um, that all coincided. But um, I had already made the decision I was going to go be a freelance producer. Um, digital was just exploding a year prior. YouTube was investing money. So it was just like this new industry that just felt like, oh, I can go work there and, and, and everyone needs the skill set that I have to offer. So um, so that decision led me to applying for a web series um, that was looking for a line producer and it was paid. And I was like, great. And a friend forwarded me the job posting and um, I sent in my resume and I got an email from a woman named Issa Ray, and I met her for coffee and she and I clicked and you know, later that night, she was like, great, we love you. We'd love for you to start next weekend. And so, um, and, and I genuinely remember having coffee with her saying how, I was graduating in two Wednesdays. Like I was like, I graduate in two weeks, I'm gonna be fully available. Like so truly was the first thing that overlapped with my departure from AFI. So I get hired to do that, We were shooting it on the weekends. Um, The other thing that ended up happening is at the time, I was um, producing some other shorts, but um, I was approached to do a short um, through the AFI Directing Workshop for Women with a woman named Sarah Shapiro, who was an incredible writer-director. And she um, knew a friend who was a cinematographer that was in my graduating class, and so they connected us. And she had this amazing short about a woman who was working on a bachelor-like television show. And she was like, um, and it was so smart and so Funny. and I remember meeting her and being like, "What do you want to do?" And she's like, "I love to make this into." I used to want to do a movie, but now I want to do a TV show. And I was like, "Well, I love the short, and let's just like go figure out how to make it." And so I did that in that July of that summer. And um, Ava Prokofsky who later ended up coming in to shoot Insecure, this is how her and I first worked together. She was a DP on that, and that short film Sequin Rays ended up at South by the following year, and that became the show in real. So I also did that that summer. Um, and then the last thing is. <clears throat> I remember, again, talk about just the world, but um, a friend some, gave my resume to a friend and I get a call and they're basically like, hey, would you come in for an interview to be an assistant to this this really big director? And I was like, I'm kind of like producing stuff. I don't really want a job. And that's kind of like the, the not the job I wanted to take. Um, but I'm always a believer in opportunities and at least always taking the meeting. I was like, at least take the meeting. I don't have to take the job. So I take the meeting. I go and, and um, sit down with her and, and the director and it's really great. And, we it up, and I'll never forget, I was on a late shoot the night before, and had walkies in my trunk, and was like, I need to do all these returns, and so I go back to my car, and she's like, hey, wait, before you leave, you know, uh, he really likes you, and actually wants to take you down to the house, introduce you to the interns, and just see, get you a feel for the space, because he, his office was in his home, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, we can do that, and so, like, we go down, and he showed me around, and he was like, eh, and this is the, the you know, um, there's a space, and he was like, so, what do you think? Like, could you start next week? And I was like, can I can I get back to you in 24 hours? <laughs> and I think I yeah. took him by surprise, mostly because I was like, whoa, time out. This was not, I'm very strategic. I was like, this is not on my, I didn't, I just t- took the interview. Like, I didn't think I'd get the job. Um, and he, he gave me 24 hours, but I think he was, you know, again, and very prominent film director. So it was almost like, who on earth wouldn't want this job? And I went home. I returned the walkies, went home, and called my mom and called my some family and friends. It was just like, am I crazy? Should I take this? And I don't know. It's not like I got all these other things. I'm producing Awkward Black Girl on the weekends. And um, I didn't want a job, but like I, mean, I could use the money. Um, and again, I was like, you know what? Why not? I'm curious to see where this goes. And um, I gave it 90 days because I was like, I'll go into it try to do what I can on the weekends. But at the end of the day, in three months, if I don't feel like this is for me, uh, I'll leave. Um, And I took the three months and had a great experience and made some friendships and relationships out of that um, that I'm, I'm still close to today. But ultimately, 90 days later, I was like, this is not for me, <laughs> um, and and you know we we came to an understanding, and I, I got him a new assistant, and I left the job. So I went back to freelancing. But it's not a story I share often because it's it was so short. But I think you know when you ask like what did you do after graduation, um, those three things compounded pretty much all at the same time, um, and and I still got to choose my destiny, right? I still got to choose my journey. And I'm always grateful for that because I know had I not chose it or just kind of went with the ride because of like um, the opportunities and, and how they were presented, I think I would have ended up with a very different career probably, who knows?
0: 100%, I mean, and I think one thing that uh, you can see throughout your career from even from a very early age was in, you have good instincts, you know, to make how to, because I think that strategic mindset of thinking through long like what's the long version of this instead of making like quick gut reactions you really think through it and you give things opportunities and then you see okay I, I like this and i'm gonna take that into my next thing and i didn't like that so i'm not gonna do more i'm gonna do something different and i think that's a common thing that i've seen and i've read through your your interviews yeah is that you have an incredible instincts oh
1: thank you i mean look I, I think it i operate by two guiding principles that i can probably verbalize now um but one of them is always to um follow my gut, right? But always to do what I wanted to do and make sure it was what I was happy with because I I came to realize that over the course of my life, the decisions I was able to make for myself always ended up, um, you know, I was always happy with them because I knew why I was making them versus I think, Um, throughout our lives, some people have the the knack to listen to some of the people and want to do what they feel like is best for them based off of the advice they're giving, right? Or what someone else wants to do for them. And I know a lot of people just ended up in unhappy situations, or they end up, you know, years into a career they never loved because someone said it's what they should do. And so I always just made sure whatever choices I made were my own and wanted to own that, whether good or bad. Um, And I think the second thing was always knowing and feeling um, that (laughs) life's there's there's nobody who has any control in this life. Right. So and what I mean by that is um, what's the worst that can happen? I can take the job and quit in three months because why not? Right. Like it's like operating off the principle of like I am sure of myself and and the directions in which I want to go. But I think some people get stuck and they kind of get like bogged down when they have to make those hard choices because they are worried about what people will think they're worried about the reputation they're worried about well what if I ruin this relate like just all these things and it holds them back and I've always been like "Eh, like I'd rather take my losses you know but at the end of the day Mm -hmm. I'm going to uh figure it out anyways and do what I want to do and so um I think those two things have served me well and honestly it's only until maybe more recently in the last few years that I've been able to look back at this trajectory and see those moments but also again be able to. Put them in a way where I'm like, well, why did I do that? Oh, Denise it was because you always just did. Not that I just did what I wanted to do, but I've always followed my own, um, yeah, my own instincts, my own gut for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, when you break down those like those instincts and those gut reactions, like uh, strategic people see a million things, variables happening simultaneously. They see a lot of stuff happening in the movie, and it's like, so it's not like it was a quick reaction. You thought through it. You had you 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 saw like what your long term goals were, and you saw how this opportunity fits within that, and I'm a big fan of experiences, a lot like uh, kind of what you are describing with taking on that role, even though like, okay, I could I could, I could quit. I, I want to have experiences, and especially if it's a new one that I don't know about, like I'll tip my toe and like, oh, I actually don't like that, you know? <laughs> but I'm glad I did it. I'm glad, because now I know I don't have to like regret, like did I take the wrong, did I make the wrong choice? Because if you would have not taken that opportunity, you might think five years later on the road, like, did I should I have done that? And yeah. now you know I Now I and should, now you know it wasn't
1: to. yeah, it wasn't meant for me. Um it's so true. It's just like, you know, there's what do I say, if there's no risk, there's no reward, right? And so mm-hmm. just being fearless and saying, What's 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 the risk? What's the worst that can happen? And um yeah. and every time I've taken a risk, uh, somehow it's paid off in, in ways that I would have never thought it did, but then it's just been like, oh, okay. I should keep doing that. <laughs> I should keep. Yeah. I should just keep like gambling on myself and and trusting that. Um, and again, it's not always been right um, in terms of like, oh, okay, well, that didn't go well. That didn't. I didn't think that was going to happen. Um, but somehow, it's brought me other things that uh, you know I, I get a chance to be grateful for for having done it.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, that was sounds like a, a pretty. I mean, especially coming out of AFI, that there was a lot of opportunities ahead of you. How did you? connect the dots from that point of time to insecure tv show (laughs) like Mm -hmm. what was the what was like what were the beats in between there that really in your mind when you look back were the what connected all those dots for you
1: um i mean a lot of it was was you know i had worked with isa a lot from the time i came in awkward black girl until she got uh insecure picked up and that time span between meeting her and then when we were on set doing the pilot was about three and a half years and so in those in those three and a half years um you know i was building a relationship with her and 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 working on a bunch of stuff but at the same time i was a freelance producer and so i was on So many sets. Um, I was, you know, also when I wasn't producing something to just collect a check, I was still a PA. I would still take on a production coordinator job, like whatever freelance production gigs existed. Right. And so, you know, I was getting all kinds of experience in terms of being in, in those environments, but then also building all these relationships. And so by the time insecure comes around you know there was that little imposter syndrome again of like eh, I've never made a tv show um but then at the other side of it once you you get into the trenches I was like oh I know this world I know this world so well because it's all I've been in for the last four or five years since since shoot since grad school since undergrad right and so it almost felt like all of that led up to i think boosting my confidence and being comfortable being on set you know and and not feeling green and not acting like i didn't know what was happening i mean there was a learning curve but the the biggest thing that i think was awakening for me was that (laughs) all these low budget these shorts these like web series stuff it's no different than this this big HBO TV show and the way of which, how it's made, right? Production is production. The people are, it's still a collaborative team, whether you have five, 10 people, or whether you're on set with hundreds of people, it still operates that same way. Um, it's just the process in which you do it is just a little bit more expensive and, and a little bit more, um, a little bit more pressure, but, um, but the, the mechanics are the same. And so I think the dots and getting there, um, Truly helped me build uh, a level of confidence and and a, and a level of stability where a I felt like oh yeah I've done enough to to be able to be here and prove myself but then also it's not that scary and I'm really grateful because obviously it was such a big deal it changed my life but I also think as someone who might have not had all those experiences on other sets until then um, I might have walked in there like a, a deer in headlights a little bit or mm. you know and just um, been a little bit more um, prone to. Uh, Not speaking up or kind of being in the shadows, whereas you know I was just so comfortable in how I was moving because I was like, I know this space, like I I, this Mm -hmm. is lived and breathed it now for
2: years.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you put the hours in, right? Like so, to your point, like uh, smaller shoots or smaller web stuff or music videos. The difference between that a TV show a huge feature studio film is just the scale of, of, of how the dollars are spent and but the problems are similar right like as you as a producer put taking care of problems that come up on a daily basis the ones that were on the smaller projects come up on a bigger ones and they're just the scales different and you but you you're like oh I've done this I know yeah. how to solve for this I know yeah and so those experiences matter
1: it's so true yeah it's so true and again it wasn't like wait, what's a one-liner? What's a schedule? How do we talk about it? Like, it was just like, oh yeah, I've done this. I've been on Scouts. I know all this, right? So it was like, I was able to just, yeah, jump into the problems and and help however I could versus spending that time being there to learn, you know?
0: Yeah, no, that all checks out. You know, I had uh, Nina Erb on the podcast oh, a couple I months ago. I love Nina.
1: That's right.
0: She's incredible. Uh, she was, I mean, so brilliant. And the thing I've always been fascinated by is like the culture on a set, and she just spoke so highly of the culture that you all created on on that on that project. Are you really proud of that?
1: Uh, I'm extremely proud. I mean, there was um, there was nothing like it, at least that I had been a part of prior, and um, and a little bit since. But you know, it, it was a very special place, and and I think it shows just from the low turnover we had with like the cast and crew, and the same people who wanted to come back. Um, and it was just it was supportive. It was like a family, right? But also just a place that you walked in and you almost like uh, was able to let your hair down a little bit because you were like, oh, like, I'm not the only one here on set who looks like me or who maybe comes from where I come from or just, you know, um, all of these things. So it was an incredible environment and, you know, I credit so many of, of my fellow producers and everyone else at the top for just making sure that was there from the very beginning.
0: I love that. Um now let's talk about, you know, uh, you know, your future, like moving forward, right? <laughs> like you've got uh, some amazing projects happening. You've you launched Reform. Like what was the intention behind that? What was your goal with starting this new company?
1: Yeah, so, you know, I'm really excited about Reform Media. Um at its core, right? You know, I've been with Disa for so many years, kind of helped her um, with the production company and Color Creative and all these things. And, you know, I think during the pandemic um, and around that time, Um, you know, I I very much reflected on my own career and where I've been coming from, what I've done, but also the things I wanted to do. And, you know, obviously, I I know I could have stayed and had a place to do that with her. But, you know, I I was very honest with myself about where I am as a producer, and almost forgetting or realizing like, oh, there's an opportunity at some point to figure out what that means on its own, right? Because I think the majority of my career, even going back into my freelance days, is being a producer for hire, producer, for everyone who needs someone who thinks like me, who moves like me. And that's that's incredible, right, to be needed in that way. But um, I was really curious about whether or not I could do that for myself and and not necessarily um, do that for, for other people. And so the only way to find out is to say, well, what if I just launch my own company? Am I ready? Could I do that? What would that look like? And that just kind of really started to excite me. And so, you know, I, again, strategically went into it saying, well, I can do this in another 20-30 years because like you know my intentions were to grow old and gray with isa or there might be this unique opportunity just giving um where the landscape was seeing how it's changing during that year with the pandemic and saying coming out of this might be it might be the best time to try to go and plant my own flag and and try this because if there was one thing that was very telling is that in the i guess in the course of non-writing producers like myself and production companies i sh- i felt strongly that well there's not a lot of black female-led production companies that are producer led that's not talent led director led showrunner led right there's a lot of those pods but i was like but you know i i look at kathleen kennedy's and the Galen herds and the stacy shears and like these are people i idolize and i'm like and the deborah martin chase but i was like but where's you know where are we as a young black female um in this generation and so it, the time felt now and um took me a few months of going back and forth because you know again imposter syndrome and also the idea of like am i crazy <laughs> like who would give up this incredible job i have but um, again, in my heart and trust in my instincts, I was like, I know this is what I want to do. So I had to support and um, I set on a path to figure out just how I was going to do that. And so I'm a year and a half in, um, you know, full disclosure, I always think of last year being kind of like a, a starter year because I'd launched the company, but I found myself in production for 11 months between Insecure and Um, <laughs> uh, So uh, it wasn't truly until the top of this year, once I came back from Miami after shooting rap shit, that um, I was able to kind of dig my heels in the sand a little bit and, and give my full-time attention um, and energy to reform. And so nine months in, you know, I'm incredibly proud of where I'm at and just rejuvenated and um, honestly, it's like a, a really great feeling because it's I think I was in the same place for so long that I was like, oh, God, this feels like another chapter in my career, in my, yeah. in my story, in my life. Right. I'm like, this is um, the wild, wild west, so to speak, because I have no idea where it's going or where it's going to end up. But I'm really enjoying uh, what I'm doing in the moment. And I know regardless of what happens, it'll be for a reason. Right.
0: It all makes sense. Like he- hearing like the past and like the early childhood, I mean, from like having the little camcorder videos and making stuff with your cousins to like high school, college, it all makes sense to where you are right now. You know, it's you you seem really like focused on, you know, creating great content, being in service of the audience and a lot of stuff that you do, but also being in service of your community and, and making change and creating change in this industry, which needs it. Right. Um, how do you like when you're looking at projects, are you focused what is what- what are you gravitating towards right now, like when you look at material when something comes across your desk, what makes it like you know what I'm gonna check this out like what is cat grabbing your attention?
1: Yeah, great question. um, I found that it's kind of two things, which is one the voice like i I love something that is written in such a way where I'm almost like, I need to get to know this person like this their their voice and their their instrument in the way they see the world is just jumping off the page, like first and foremost, right? Um, and that comes from sometimes just the first page. And you're just like, oh, wow, this is a very interesting writer. Um, and as someone who's read thousands, probably thousands of scripts in my lifetime, um, I promise you no script is ever the same. So it's just one of those things that just immediately hooks me. So that's one. And then two, obviously, it's the story in its entirety, right? And really being stuck with it. My favorites, favorites are the ones that, First of all, I get into it and I'm just like, I have to read this in this one sitting. Like I don't, I I can't just stop it because I I genuinely need to know where it goes. Um, But then more importantly, it's the ones that I, I finish and like, I think about it at night, I think about it the next morning and I'm just like, huh? Like, and I'm anticipating and looking forward to meeting that writer or that filmmaker because I'm like, oh my God, I have so many questions. Like, I'm so curious about this and where to come from and who was this? And it's the ones that genuinely kind of just take me by surprise. Um, and some of them, you know, I-, I used to like to say, it's like, oh, I love stories that are like, I haven't seen before, which is a little bit of that, right? But it genuinely is the ones that I think are just smart in their approach um, and it's and it's also why I say that I love all stories, like as I build reform, people are like, what's your niche? And I'm like, everything I love everything um, <laughs> yeah. and it makes it more fun to kind of get lost in, in another world in that way so it's just, again, finding the scripts and the material or the stories that I'm just like, well, this is uh, whether it's challenging or easy or it feels familiar even, it's just like oh no, this is, this is fascinating, like the, the way they did it is, I, I can't even put my finger on it, so it's those stories if you had to come up with the word for that uh, i'd applaud you because i would use that in a heartbeat yeah. <laughs> but um but it's you know it's, a, it's just a little bit of who i am and what again what moves me right i'm not even trying to mm-hmm. like do any kind of agenda or mandate here in a big way of like checking boxes or like trying to like focus on one thing or another it's truly just saying i just want to tell great stories i want to tell the things that mm-hmm as an audience member, I can become a fan of. Um, And then more importantly, see myself as being an instrument to help someone's vision come to life.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. How many things are, you know, have your attention on your calendar on a weekly basis?
1: I recently counted uh, because I had to. Um, I'd say there is there's roughly uh, like there's roughly 13 or 14 active projects in development. And what I mean by acting, Mm. it means they are currently being pitched already sold into development are, you know, or uh, currently set up somewhere and, and hopefully, you know, on a track to get made in the next year. So that's like that. And then I always look at this, this other semi second pile of, here are the things I truly, really love, I want to be a part of, I want to do. We just haven't yet engaged or really kind of like figured out the next steps. Um, and that that probably is only like a handful of things, maybe five, six, seven scripts. Um, and, and then, uh, no big deal. And then I leave the rest open <laughs> because, um, you know, I'm, I'm very strategic, there's that word again, um, of how I'm going about building this slate and building like the the projects that the company's taken out and really trying to make sure I'm not cannibalizing just one genre either, right? So very much saying, okay, I took on these, you know, 13, 14 things that I know are in active development, let me make sure anything else I'm taking on new um, basically doesn't step on any of those toes because I want to make sure my slate is as diverse as it should be in in terms of all the different stories and things that I could be doing with it.
0: When you look at the slate and you look at these projects, what what gets you excited most as a producer? Is it like you know, like we've talked about the the mandate or not the mandate, but the the vision of your, the company. But as a producer, as you're looking at some of these things, um, is there a particular thing that you're like, I want to try something that I haven't done? And is that unscripted? Is it uh, you know a feature? What is what's the thing that's most interesting to you right now?
1: Sometimes I, I get really excited. It's like I jump in the gun here, but I get really excited about like. I know the conversations that this could spark. I know the the emotions that this could evoke, right? It's almost like I, I get excited about knowing how much people can connect to the story. Um, and also knowing how much like an audience might desperately need a story like this, right? So and that could be a doc, that could be a movie, that could be a TV show, um, but those are the things that I think um, keep me galvanized and passionate about seeing something through because it's just like again I connect I connect with it on a human level and everything pushed aside you know because I know it's going to be great I know the filmmaker is going to be great like I know all those things that's my job but what gets me most excited is um, thinking of how it could impact people.
0: That's beautiful. When you look back at your career and you look back at what you've done so far, what is something you've learned the hard way?
1: Ooh, great question. Um, something I learned the hard way. I don't know because it's it's. I mean, I learned a lot of lessons. Come on, Dwayne. Uh, <laughs> but I okay. My my first the first thing that popped in my mind, I guess, when you asked that is um, the thing I learned the hard way is that uh, you can't depend on everyone else. To be honest, right? I think, and especially in the beginning or just throughout, you you tend to make a connection or you're like, oh, okay, like and. And I very quickly learned this, but it's like putting all your marbles into someone else and being like, oh, this is going to be the thing. Right. And so um, and I just learned that by people not following through on something they were going to or promising something that they weren't able to. And just being able to understand that, you know, at the end of the day, um, you have to be careful where you put your trust in people, but also just the idea of not relying on everyone else
2: for that.
0: Yeah. No, that's that's a tough lesson to learn. Yeah. Um, Yeah. you, You know, you brought this up throughout the conversation. And it's a thing I'm actively trying to actually build a curriculum around because as I've talked with, you know, you know, people in the page program, upcoming storytellers, whether the performers, directors, producers, whatever it is, the one thing that I always have to try to convince them is that that they can do the thing. And oftentimes, (laughs) like, and that might be in a project that's like with somebody who's, you know, very good and has accomplished and tons of credits. And it's still at a certain point, they, they kind of don't believe they can do this one thing. And so imposter syndrome is real. And so I'm actually trying to come up with like a white paper, a curriculum that can start like at a high school level. And so I've been asking everybody in this last year about imposter syndrome and you've brought it up on your own and which I love. Um, So do you still battle it and how do you cope with it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's funny. It comes up when I've always been at my most life-altering decisions. Um, And and and, and most recently came up, you know, like I said, a couple years ago when I was going back and forth about whether or not um, I should go and and do my own thing, right? And so um, how do I manage it? Um, That most recent experience actually taught me a lot of it because I think it was probably having so much anxiety and really just being so conflicted about what I was going to do and having that honestly wrapped up in fear. And so, you know, when I think about imposter syndrome now, I recognize and realize so much of it is fear. It's, it is obviously the idea of, uh, am I, can I do this? Am I capable? But behind that, when you think about what's the emotion that's making me feel this way or making me think that way, it's the idea of resisting, um, and and being afraid of what's gonna happen, being afraid of perception, being afraid of all these things, and so um, I kind of had to unpack that and say, okay, well, you know, how do I get past fear? What is what has Denise done in in her life um, to combat that? And the the most obvious choice of it was always like, Denise, you've never been like you've just done it, like you've always, you know, and and I think I give a lot of credit to my mom who tends to remind me of that, where she's just like. You've kind of walked your purpose on this life where you've been like, it doesn't matter what you can say to you, whatever, what anyone else thinks, you're going to do what you want to do. And I've always, you know, operated on that. And so to be reminded and be able to be like, yeah, I have been fearless at several times in my life. And how did I, how was I being fearless? Well, it's because I had that confidence in myself. I had that confidence in the decision. And so to go back to the imposter syndrome of it all, it was like, okay, I'm just going to have to face this. And guess what? I'm just gonna have to make a decision because the longer I hold on to this, the longer or the more I'm going to sit with this 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 illness that's truly making me sick. Um, and I, you know, I'm not trying to make this up, but it's just like finally making that decision, finally like having a conversation with you, so finally being able to be um, able to say, okay, this is what I'm doing. The relief um, was was um, was immediate. Right. It was just yeah. like, like I didn't hold on to that the, the rest of the way. It was just like, okay, now I'm going to get to work. And so it's just like this, this funny imaginary wall that we run into that, you know, for me, it, it had to come from like going to battle and saying, yeah, no, you just, you just have to do it. That's, that's how you've gotten past all of these things. And so, um, yeah, I, I hope that helps answer your question, but.
0: 100 percent yeah you just created an incredible subtitle for it the imaginary wall i mean because it's truly what it is it's true and once you, you get you, over it it's you, gone you don't even remember No,
1: literally you get over it and you look back and you're like it's not even there like it's so bizarre because yeah. it's it's this this fleeting feeling and moment that you have but it's so real you know what i mean so and that's why it is like a wall it's like a bad dream because it's just like it happens and you know what's happening and it's paralyzing right and Um, And what I found and, you know, and and dealing with it most recently was like, oh, but this also hasn't been the first time. And it's probably why I've dropped it, dropped it a few times in this conversation, because it's like recognizing, oh, I've had these moments over the course of my life to date. um, And how did I get past those? Right. And so just kind of making sure that, um, you know, I, I carry that with me because I have no doubt that given who I am today that somewhere in the future I'm going to run into it again like it just it is something that you know is is not that I don't think you can get rid of necessarily I think it's just something no. that happens to all of us depending on where we end up in our lives
0: yeah no I think uh, so brilliantly said i mean that was so eloquent the idea that was like oftentimes i found with imposter syndrome are people who are constantly putting themselves in new situations you know it's it's like there's a trait like the types of people who have it are the people who are constantly pushing their own boundaries and that's the thing there's tons of people who don't ever have to deal with it because they just have done the same thing over and over again for their entire lives it's people who find themselves in these new positions and new rooms and new conversations bigger projects bigger things that are like oh i have to overcome this and it's by the way, it's just totally imaginary. Uh, last question. Uh I'm curious, what is your comfort food when you've had a really bad day? And you're like, I just need to have this. What what's the this?
1: This is gonna sound crazy. It it varies, it changes. I go through phases. At the moment, it has been um <laughs> been like a really good cold glass of ginger beer uh, it's not even a really com- it's not even a comfort food but it's just like uh, the sweetness the fizziness like I love the taste of it um, but prior to that, you know, my my big go to comfort food was like Kit Kats. And, you know, when in high school it was take fives. Like it's always been something random where Oh my god, take um, fives so Take good. <laughs> fives or Milano cookies. Like honestly, but what happens is is I become kind of addicted and, and it's all I it's like de comfort food and I do too much of it and then I get sick of it. And then like yeah. I couldn't tell you I probably haven't had a Milano cookie in like twenty years. But it was like a part <laughs> of my life at one point. Uh, so we'll go through phases. It was part then, of your identity. Oh, completely. And then once once they get recycled, they don't really come back. <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> well, I love that. And by the way, ginger beer is that something like has that have you were you into that before or is that a totally new thing?
1: Not gonna lie, I got into ginger beer when I became a whiskey drinker years ago because it's like my favorite <laughs> cocktail mix and. Um, Then I started drinking it without the whiskey and I was like, God, I like this. And so now, um, I mean, it's not and it's and it's honestly, it's it's, to me, it's a delicacy because it's not like I can go to a restaurant and order it. Right. Like it's not like Sprite. So to me, to be able to like come home and sit in my fridge and like crack it open, it's just like, ah, this is so delightful. Like this feels special because it's not something that that is wildly available wherever you go.
0: (laughs) Right. Well. I love that. And I loved everything you've said. And I really appreciate you going a little bit over here and I, but most importantly, making the time to do this. Um, your story is really important. Your story matters and it, it, it makes a huge impact and I appreciate you taking the time to do it. So thank you so much. No,
1: it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me Duane, and, and being patient with my crazy schedule. And, um, I'm, I'm super excited, uh, to have done this. So appreciate all the, the wonderful questions and the, and just like the beautiful conversation.
0: Well, thank you. Good luck with everything. I'm sure our paths will cross in the future and uh, have a wonderful day. Thank you so much again. Uh,
1: of course, I hope so too. Take care.
0: Bye, Bye. Bye. That's a wrap, kids. Thank you for checking it out. And be sure to follow Reform Media on Instagram at Reform.media. I think this is the best place to see what Denise is up to. You can also check out our Instagram at the Smith Society Pod for the latest news. Um, and we will be announcing some live events planned for this summer. So please stay tuned. Finally, the best way to support this podcast is to rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow your dreams no matter where they take you.